A Journal of the Plague Year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 19 Readers of the novel will note that at this point I have entirely passed over a long account about three men from Wapping, whose tale of taking to the highways and fields is instructive, but perhaps too long and detailed for modern listeners. However, the final paragraphs of their story are so compelling and so seamlessly connected with what follows that I have inserted them, out of order, at the beginning of this episode. One important fact that was lost in this omission, and that given our contemporary sensibilities I simply cannot overlook, is the order that went out from the Lord Mayor that all domestic animals be killed, by which the author estimates that 40,000 dogs and five times as many cats were destroyed. Readers today will understand at once that since the fleas that carried the disease lived on rats, and since dogs are a natural enemy of rats, the law of unintended consequences once again reared its unforgiving head. The main theme of this episode centers around a phenomenon seen again in our own times, the resistance of rural areas to the arrival of strangers fleeing the epidemic. More generally, it speaks to our habit of ascribing all manner of wickedness to outsiders. The author mentions the several species of rumor and myth, some even sanctioned by officials, that charge the victims of the plague with the desire to infect others. On their part, fleeing Londoners spoke of the uniform cruelty and inhumanity of rural folk, who forced them to return to the city to face death. Here, as before, Defoe is careful to separate fact from rumor. He understands how isolated incidents can be accepted as innate characteristics and is having nothing of it. I give this story thus at large, principally to give an account what became of the great numbers of people which immediately appeared in the city as soon as the sickness abated. For, as I have said, great numbers of those that were able and had retreats in the country fled to those retreats. So when it was increased to such a frightful extremity as I have related, the middling people, who had not friends, fled to all parts of the country where they could get shelter as well those that had money to relieve themselves as those that had not. Those that had money always fled farthest, because they were able to subsist themselves. But those who were empty suffered, as I've said, great hardships, and were often driven by necessity to relieve their wants at the expense of the country. By that means, the country was made very uneasy at them, and sometimes took them up, though even then they scarce knew what to do with them and were always very backward to punish them. But often, too, they forced them from place to place till they were obliged to come back again to London. I have, since my knowing the story of John and his brother, inquired and found that there were a great many of the poor, disconsolate people, as above, fled into the country every way, 
and some of them got little sheds and barns and outhouses to live in, where they could obtain so much kindness of the country, and especially where they had any the least satisfactory account to give of themselves, and particularly that they did not come out of London too late. But others, and that in great numbers, built themselves little huts and retreats in the fields and woods, and lived like hermits in holes and caves, or any place they could find, and where, we may be sure, they suffered great extremities, such that many of them were obliged to come back again, whatever the danger was. And so those little huts were found empty, and the country people supposed the inhabitants lay dead in them of the plague, and would not go near them for fear, no, not in a great while. Nor is it unlikely that some of the unhappy wanderers might die so all alone, even sometimes for want of help, as particularly in one tent or hut was found a man dead, and on the gate of a field just by was cut with his knife in uneven letters the following words, by which it may be supposed the other man escaped, or that, one dying first, the other buried him as well he could. O oh, misery, we both shall die. Woe, woe. I know that the inhabitants of the towns adjacent to London were much blamed for cruelty to the poor people that ran from the contagion in their distress. And many very severe things were done, as may be seen from what has been said. But I cannot but say also, where there was room for charity and assistance to the people without apparent danger to themselves, they were willing enough to help and relieve them. But as every town were indeed judges in their own case, so the poor people who ran abroad in their extremities were often ill-used and driven back again into the town, and this caused infinite exclamations and outcries against the country towns, and made the clamor very popular. And yet, more or less, with all the caution, there was not a town of any note within ten, or, I believe, twenty miles of the city, but what was more or less infected, and had some died among them. Another thing might render the country more strict with respect to the citizens, and especially with respect to the poor, and this was what I hinted at before, namely, that there was a seeming propensity or a wicked inclination in those that were infected to infect others. There have been great debates among our physicians as to the reason of this. Some will have it to be in the nature of the disease, and that it impresses every one that is seized upon by it with a kind of a rage and a hatred against their own kind, as if there was a malignity not only in the distemper to communicate itself, but in the very nature of man, prompting him with evil will or an evil eye, that, as they say in the case of a mad dog, who though the gentlest creature before of any of his kind, yet then will fly upon and bite any one that comes next him, and those as soon as any who had been most observed by him before. Others placed it to the account of the corruption of human nature, who cannot bear to see itself more miserable than others of its own species, and has a kind of involuntary wish that all men were as unhappy or in as bad a condition as itself. Others say it was only a kind of desperation, not knowing or regarding what they did, and consequently unconcerned at the danger or safety not only of anyone near them, but even of themselves also. And indeed, when men are once come to a condition to abandon themselves, and be unconcerned for the safety or at the danger of themselves, 
it cannot be so much wondered that they should be careless of the safety of other people. But I choose to give this grave debate a quite different turn, and answer it or resolve it all by saying that I do not grant that fact. On the contrary, I say that the thing is not really so, but that it was a general complaint raised by the people inhabiting the outlying villages against the citizens to justify, or at least excuse, those hardships and severities so much talked of, and in which complaints both sides may be said to have injured one another. That is to say, the citizens pressing to be received and harbored in times of distress, and with the plague upon them, complain of the cruelty and injustice of the country people in being refused entrance and forced back with their goods and families, and the inhabitants, finding themselves so imposed upon, and the citizens breaking in, as it were, upon them whether they would or no, complain that when they were infected, they were not only regardless of others, but even willing to infect them, neither of which were really true, that is to say, in the colors they were described in. It is true there is something to be said for the frequent alarms which were given to the country of the resolution of the people of London to come out by force, not only for relief, but to plunder and rob, that they ran about the streets with the distemper upon them without any control, and that no care was taken to shut up houses and confine the sick people from infecting others. Whereas, to do the Londoners justice, they never practiced such things, except in such particular cases as I have mentioned above, and such like. On the other hand, everything was managed with so much care, and such excellent order was observed in the whole city and suburbs by the care of the Lord Mayor and Aldermen, and by the justices of the peace, churchwardens, and so forth, in the outparts, that London may be a pattern to all the cities in the world for the good government and the excellent order that was everywhere kept, even in the time of the most violent infection, and when the people were in the utmost consternation and distress. But of this I shall speak by itself. <laughs>